0: Welcome back to that Chelsea podcast. No Premier League game this weekend due to the game called off, but it gives us a perfect opportunity to look back at the Red Bull Salzburg game and discuss the appointment of Graham Potter. And to do that, I'm joined by two brilliant guests. Firstly, returning to the pod for the second time this season is Miss Jessica Flotta. Jess, how are we
3: doing? Doing great. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure being here again.
0: Lovely stuff, Jess. Yeah, it's always nice having you on and returning to the pod. He was on. I believe when we lost 1-0 to Everton last season and I invited him on prior to the Salzburg game thinking, oh, we'll be discussing a win. But alas, that was not the case. This is Sam, a.k.a. CFC Central. Sam, how are we doing? Uh,
2: I doing, was doing well until you mentioned that I always tend to jinx whenever I come on to this podcast. So I'm hoping that the next time we have a win to discuss. So, yeah, otherwise, absolutely, absolutely fine. And um, yeah, good to have an enforced second preseason. And hoping that Porter can work some magic in that time. Indeed.
0: Indeed. As always, you have guests, I get them to give themselves a plug. So Sam, I'll stick with you.
2: Where can people find you on Twitter and all your work? You can find me on CFC Central 3 on Twitter. I am an absolute Instagram noob. I haven't figured out how to use it properly. So please don't follow me there. And um, yeah, you can uh, find my Substack link on my Twitter, which is where basically I post all my writing and analysis pieces.
0: Yeah, you can find Sam's links in the description below. And Jess, where can people find you on Twitter?
3: I mean, uh, differently than Sam, who has an abundance of knowledge. I'll just be renting on Twitter, so you can find me there at, uh, at Trotta. Lovely
0: stuff. Lovely stuff. Right, let's get into it. Jess, I'll start with you. Graham Potter was appointed Chelsea manager uh, last week. Last week? Yeah, last week. No, before last week. Anyway, it's been a while. It's been a long time. I've lost track. It's been a very busy 10 or 11 days. Just your kind of thoughts, your feelings on that Graham Potter appointment.
3: On the appointment itself, I, I was very happy because he's a, a manager that I appreciate deeply. I like his link with the academy. And it was very clear that he was and is in line with what the new owners want to do in terms of integration, data, and someone who it goes beyond being a coach. And it's just a manager. But I have to say, um, emotionally, I had mixed feelings because I think, as a lot of Chelsea fans, I just truly appreciate Thomas Tuchel, and it was just very sad to see him go. Um, but yeah, we have to move forward, and I just I wish him the best, and obviously, with Potter as well. Yeah. May he brings lots and lots of success.
0: Indeed, indeed. Um, Sam, Grand Potter is he's had quite a quite a journey in football. It's probably a very different Chelsea hire to to previous ones. The fact he's perhaps not had the most glamorous managerial career to date, an impressive managerial career to date, but not one littered with trophies. His career path is certainly an interesting one and maybe one you should maybe find more familiar with, you know, someone who maybe played football manager. But just your thoughts on, you know, the Graham Potter appointment, just your general feelings on it.
2: Yeah, I think I would definitely concur with Jessica in terms of I think if the duple sacking would have been a little more, I mean, respectful, I would say. Obviously, things weren't great, but just the way it was handled maybe left a little bitter taste in my mouth. Um, deserved respect for everything that he achieved at the club, irrespective of how it ended. So maybe that sort of counteracted a little bit of the enthusiasm I would have felt because obviously we were all watching Graham Porter do a lot of in- interesting stuff with um, Brighton. So, you know, we were all very enthusiastic about. Him as a potential, say, England manager sometime in the future, but I guess that's why the club acted the way that it did. We went really quickly. He has somebody. Uh, he's somebody who's obviously got the experience in terms of building projects. Um, quite a journeyman manager, and I mean, in terms of building clubs from scratch, I think he's he's taken on the mantle and and he's now structured two clubs basically from, you know, um, say one from the fourth division of of Swedish football to to the top and like winning a trophy and then doing the same thing uh, elsewhere as well. So with Brighton, you know, with turning a completely relegation-threatened direct football team into a swashbuckling possession-based side. So I think it's, uh, he's got a proven track record as good as any available in the market. Um, And then probably, you know, the man that, like Jessica said, Right now, in everything considered, the candidates considered, I think he's arguably the best option the club had. So excited, definitely excited, and uh, hoping he can work his magic for the third time.
0: Okay, Sam, sticking with you, obviously he's got one player he will know very well in Mark Corella. But how do you think he can get the best, I guess, out of this Chelsea squad? Because this Chelsea squad, there's a lot of talent, there's a lot of promise in there. But As we've seen this season, the performances have not been great. It kind of, you know, leaves us where we are on the Premier League table. Players have probably been underperforming, certain players have probably been underperforming for a long time. How do you think, firstly, how many of these players do you think kind of suit the way Graham Potter wants to play? And, and what do you think Graham Potter can do with this squad? I guess, signing in the immediate short term and then looking longer term.
2: To be honest, um, I mean, it's, it's been an interesting mix of players. To be honest, when we when uh, Tuchel inherited the side, there were obviously a lot of players who. Were sort of transition based, I would say. Enjoyed running into space, like playing a faster tempo football. When you look at somebody like a Timo Werner, when you look at somebody like a Kai Havertz, even a Romelo Lukaku, you know, at at Inter he was basically somebody who loved running and galloping into space and and basically trying to make things happen from there. And under Tuchel, I think we had a seismic shift in terms of the playing style tried to play more possession based controlled football it was all about structure first, all about ensuring that we did not crack under pressure and maybe that's why you know we lost a lot of the attacking edge that we had in in earlier seasons. so I think this is a side which is tactically well rounded they've they've sort of got dual characteristics so ideally based for a side that wants to play hybrid football. You know, they can control games when they have to. They can switch it up a gear and, and play transitions if they have to. I think Porto will be very, very enthusiastic about inheriting a side with these qualities. Like you said, Mark Kukureya again, somebody who came from a very different side in Hitafe, uh, played an extremely different brand of football. You know, high pressing, playing as a wide midfielder, asked to to basically try and, and support the two forwards which uh, obviously he does part time as as a wing back and sometimes as a centre back. But then Potter just completely turned him around and and first as a wing back, then as a centre back. So I think he will enjoy um, sort of doing the the brain picking process of talking to each player, seeing them in training, and figuring out which role is the best for them. So I think there will be some interesting positional shifts. I've actually mentioned that Sterling might be playing you know, wing back before before the first game and it actually came true. So I think there will be some positional shifts, maybe for the likes of Havertz, maybe for the likes of Pulisic. Um, a couple of other players also might find a new lease of life under him, might find they're more suited to a certain role. Connor Gallagher, for example, who played as, you know, a part of the midfield too. Maybe now he switches to a midfield eight, somebody like a B2B kind of profile that, Porter really enjoyed uh, when when he played the three-five-two with Moises Caicedo and Pascal Gross and all of these other midfielders. So I think there's there's a lot of quality. It's abundant. Porter just needs to now have probably two three weeks a month at most to see what exactly he sees in training and then tailor the side according to systems and see which players fit that um, the role and responsibility the best.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, Jess, I guess as I said, there's been a few. Under Tuchel, there were a lot of reports about a lot of attackers being unhappy at Chelsea. Uh, a couple of them left, and a couple of them didn't leave uh, this summer and still still here and have had, I guess, a limited role. Out, I guess, out of you know the attackers at right. Do you see? Is there anyone that you look at in that attack and think, oh, maybe Potter can can revive their Chelsea career potentially?
3: I think when when any man, new manager comes in, you have to take a second look at the squad and every new, every player becomes like a new player. So I think every player has uh, a chance, a new chance to impress. And I think with, with butter, what you see is a lot more fluidity, even though in terms of system, sometimes you can say it's very close to, to what Thomas Tuchel did. But um, if you go by the, that one game against Salzburg uh, at times, you, you maybe could even see something resembling a three one three three. So, um, and, and you saw it with Brighton all the time with with Trossafric, for example, which Stelling did as well. Just a lot of interchanging. Um, I particularly like the players um being used in positions that I think are more comfortable to them as well. You would see with Mason Mount and, and Conor Gallagher, as Sam said, um being used more in the build-up. And I think that can help our attackers. Um, if if I, I saw a lot of people complaining also with with Christian Pulisic, and no, oh, he's being used in wing back and I actually think he might be used similarly to Sterling um, in the trossaro role or a wingback role, but even then, I think it suits him a lot more because, as I said, it's a lot more fluidity fluidity, and you would see roaming between the lines. So actually, Pulisic, Pulisic is one that I'm I'm actually hoping that uh, that Potter can 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 get the best out of. But I, uh, what I would say is Armando I really want to see him. The glimpses that we saw were really good in the last game. I think, yes, he missed a chance, even though with the outside, uh, that maybe he shouldn't have missed. But I think he was fantastic. So particularly him is someone that I really want to see under 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 Potter.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess, just sticking with you, obviously... Being probably just being honest and, and open about the situation, many would probably feel and agree that going from Thomas Tuchel to Graham Potter is a downgrade. Thomas Tuchel is probably one of the best tacticians in Europe, one of the best in the world. We've kind of seen how brilliant he is at setting Chelsea up for one off games, etc. His record in Europe has been was exceptional with Chelsea. Um but I guess Tuchel's gone and maybe with Tuchel at times, they did feel that Chelsea could probably overachieve and almost do anything, almost do anything under under Tuchel. What are your kind of just like general like expectations, I guess, now for for the rest of the season? Because they said the season didn't start off great with Tuchel. We are outside the top four at the moment, albeit not by by a huge amount of points. Um but Champions League, which I guess we'll get onto when we discuss Salzburg, is looking a bit ropey. Two games in, but I guess it. What what are your just like general expectations? What would you like to see, I guess, from from Grandpa in his first, I guess, not full season, but his first season in charge?
3: Um, I'll just reiterate what you said about uh, about Tuchel because I agree that he is one of the best tacticians in the world. I think he's an unbelievable football mind. Um, and, yeah, like like you said, even when things were not great and you were talking about a cup competition specifically, you had that feeling, oh, no, but we can't win. When it's just this, we, we can win this game. And so I think even in terms of trophies and, and, and even though our form wasn't great, I, I still had um, confidence that we might win something. Uh, and, and again, this is not a, a, to, to downgrade on Potter to say he's, he's, he's a, bad, a bad coach, but I think that, that now we, we see that this is a long-term planning from the club and the idea is to keep, um backing this manager and give him time to properly introduce his ideas and if you look back if you look uh, back at um and at his work with Brighton not even going that further back in his career um last season he he was uh, the, his team was were being booed a lot in the games and then to see uh, their growth into this season where in my opinion outside of the big names um Brighton was 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 the club that I, I, I liked to watch the games. It's just fantastic to see the improvements with the players and, and it comes from the players knowing what they have to do and understanding um, the flexibility within within uh, Potters system. So having that in mind, I just want to see us playing better <laughs> for, for this season is, is what I'm maybe that's a defeatist attitude I, I'm not sure, but what I want to see is I want to be able to enjoy Chelsea you know, not necessarily with the best football, but seeing the players really fighting for the badge, seeing the players understanding the system, because I believe the trophies will come from that. And um, I think top four is difficult, but I do think it's still very much possible. If you look at the table, even though, again, with all the problems that we have, we are not that far off. Um, so, uh, you know, from from, from us, you no, who. who um, well from city one now right so now technically they're number one but i think top four is within reach so i think we can do that and so i'm not expecting anything in terms of trophies but i'm open to it i mean if it happens obviously we're going to celebrate a lot um but yeah i think for this season is um, i'm using words that i really don't like but it, it is a transitional um season it is a, a project or a process or you know these words that we don't necessarily like or we're not used to using as Chelsea fans. Uh but I think it's something that we have to change in our mentality. And I'm just I, I'm I'm excited. I want to see you know players growing and and doing well and especially um seeing the academy being really utilized and, and having that path that the new owners really show that they, they want to achieve.
0: Yeah. Fair enough, fair enough. Sam, so, um, obviously, I guess, even with Thomas Tuchel this year, there was probably a sense that this was going to be maybe a bit of a transition season for Chelsea. And there, there would perhaps naturally be some regression given the calibre of players that they lost. And there would be, you know, new players coming in and it would take time. And essentially, you know, at the time we kind of build, Tuchel was kind of building his first real Chelsea squad, getting his first chance to build. And obviously he's gone now and Tuchel's now got to, got to try and build this squad. I guess, you know, just very much a, a feel of transition, but what are your just kind of general expectations for what Chelsea can can do this season?
2: Um, like just mentioned, I think the season is still in its instancy. I think we shouldn't, you know, start, you know, a doomsday cult and say, holy shit, you know, it's, it's not, oh, sorry for the profanity, but you know, it's, it's probably, <laughs> no, probably, you know, it, we shouldn't be a little, um, you know, downcast in terms of where we are in the league. I think it's it's still enough time to catch up and probably make a top four charge at best. I don't expect us to go top three or or challenge, um, say managers who had a little more time, like say Mikel Arteta who've built the squad that they wanted to build are looking good. Looks like the team is clicking. Uh, But again, you know, it's Arsenal. So at the end of the day, once they start playing Thursday night football, anything can happen. So I think there's a lot still to, to process and, the best thing that I would ask in terms of expectations is for him to just find what identity this this team has or he he wants to sort of envision with it. Um he's shown that he can build a really good, exciting, pragmatic kind of um a football that I would also say is something that we associate with Thomas Tuchel. Um it's just the difference between both managers is the fact that Tuchel has a decade worth of top flight experience from from across the continent. And you know, to, uh, and Potters basically just had three years, three and a half years. So I think it's it's that gulf in, in experience in terms of managing in elite competitions, I think, which is missing. But again, it, it was just up to the ownership to take that gamble. And I think that has been taken. It's something that we see in Tuchel's career trajectory as well. You know, he was basically coaching Augsburg, I think, the youth team and, and Mainz took a chance at him saying, let's see what you do. And, and he turned minds around and, you know, won the first seven or eight games of the Bundesliga season. And immediately from then, Dortmund said, let's go for him. And and we all know what he did at Dortmund. So I think it's a similar trajectory with Porter. I think we've identified that this is somebody with a great tactical mind, somebody who can build long-term projects, is, is really good at man-managing players, has a lot of emotional intelligence, can understand how to bring the best out of units, uh, individual units in a collective unit. So I think overall, everything seen this will, like you said, is a transitional period. So I do expect probably a year, year and a half before we actually see this squad in his image. And, um, there are a lot of holes to fill. I think, um, Jessica and I discussed this on a regular when we chat that. It, I think there is an entire you know host of signings still to fill in in important positions like Central midfield with kante's uh, talk sort of slowing down his injury issues, Kova picking up a lot of injuries, Jorginho again one year on the deal. nobody knows if negotiations have started, how they're going, and then obviously uh, the number nine question like you know who's who's the number nine long term I think there are at least three or four crucial signings still to come into this side so Probably a year and after that, the next six months to see, you know, how he's moulding the side.
0: Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Obviously, Jess, he is the first appointment, the first managerial appointment of the new ownership era. And we are kind of, you know, it does feel like we're hearing words, I guess, similar to what we heard when when Frank came in about, you know, a project, etc. And I guess as Chelsea fans, due to, you know, the previous ownership, you know, conditioned to maybe not really believe, those words hold much meaning but given what we've seen with Boley and how he's been at the Dodgers I believe with Dave Roberts who's been there a number of years as much as there's, there's frustration I guess and anger at the way Tuchel went and perhaps you know just the way it was handled do, I guess ultimately at this stage do we just have to trust the new ownership by their word and just trust that providing Potter shows enough uh, progress that you know this can be a, this will be a will be a five-year project that can lead us to to where we need to get to um,
3: I don't think we have a choice at the moment I think we have to trust it and trusting it um, as you said even though we are not necessarily happy with how things have um, happened with with Tukul uh, but trusting it trusting their word of of the long-term vision of having the coach being a manager and aligning with transfers in the academy and everything then it all makes sense. The appointment makes sense, but it has to be a long-term project. So in the present and, and trusting it, I'm happy with it. I'm excited by the prospect. I'm optimistic about the future, but then if next season, then he sacked, then obviously a lot of questions will, will, will happen. I actually, as I said, I'm optimistic. I don't see it happening. As you said, with Dodgers, I believe, i know nothing about baseball by the way um pat needs to 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 teach me some things there but i believe uh, their manager has, has been there for 7 years and and if they are really trying to implement what happened there uh, you know doing my research and talking to people who do like baseball and do follow baseball um it, you know it, it's all about the thing that's that that us as chelsea fans really have been wanting to see, which is having a strong academy who is proper utilized, and then going after top, top players, world-class players to immediately elevate the squad the and taking us to the next level. So because of all of that, it's not just saying, you know, you, ha- you have that um, experience, even though it's a different sport, but you have that experience to look to. And because of that, I am optimistic. And, you know, we've been seeing links with director of footballs or and technical directors and and people who are the best at what they're do at, at, at what they're doing football so I think we have reason to be hopeful but again it, it's it's a trust you have to trust and we'll see what the future holds for us.
0: Yeah I think it's very much I guess a, a case of wait and see and we've just got to got to trust what they you know that they they do have the best intentions for Chelsea Football Club and I think you know in general their, their intentions have shown that they do have their actions have shown they do have the best intentions for this that will the way they went in the transfer market etc um so yeah, i think we do have to just have patience and trust them and just you know it, it's going to be hard for people because they've been conditioned you know due to i guess a previous ownership but i guess they've got to try it and, and just you know give this one till this ownership gives reason not to to believe that you know things like a project can exist and i think we've just got to really believe and trust in it Right, Sam. Let's get to it. That first Champions League game, boy, that was quite an interesting lineup. Um, just talk to me. Your okay. Before we get into the game, just your thoughts and feelings when we saw that line, because it was very interesting and I, something I can't really remember a Chelsea manager ever doing. Cesar Azpilicueta being a centre back in a back four—that was probably just one of <laughs> that was probably one of the most intriguing um, decisions made. Obviously, we know Azpilicueta is is club captain. There'll be you know, there's always potentially politics at play, or there's always you know, I guess, of first game wanting to. To go of experience, we did see that with Thomas Tuchel in his first game, time bring bring back in the likes of Tony Rudiger. I think Oli Oli started his first game. Just what were your just kind of thoughts, just seeing that first lineup under Graham Potter?
2: Um, I'm a little reluctant to take away, you know, a general philosophy based on on the first game. But like you said, there were some aspects of it obviously which were tailored to the way Salzburg play. I think that's obviously. Potter's strength. You, he under understands his uh, opponents very, very well. He tailors a game plan to them to counter them, to understand like how they play and how to negate it. And knowing that a Red Bull side usually deploys, you know, a four-two-two-two or a four-four-two diamond, which the latter was the system that Salzburg played. It was just about trying to get two centre backs that can also, you know, offer a obviously width in terms of from the build-up phase and, and ensuring that. Um, Salzburg had to leave their compact narrow structure and go out wide to press and and give us the kind of dominance in wide areas that that we wanted and I think that's why we saw Aspillita in in a wide role and again Kukureya is somebody you know who's who's played as a as a left center back is played as a left wing back I think that versatility obviously helps in terms of player profiles uh, it's also interesting in in terms of how we saw the orientation of the wing backs because it's I would say pretty similar to to what you'd see at Brighton. Trossard is not really a wing back per se. I would say he's more of a wide midfielder. He's somebody who's happy to to offer defensive support up until the middle third. You know, In settled possession, he sort of takes up a very high position, wants to get on attacking duties. And if there is a lot of pressure, then obviously he drops back to make it a back five. But it's something we saw from Sterling as well. You know, he's... He's not somebody who's going to slot back as as a as a left wing back in a back fight. He's just going to be there to offer some kind of defensive support when, whenever needed. And his primary prerogative is to to make sure that he's isolating Salzburg's full back one v one. He's getting touches in good areas where he can take on the defender. So you have somebody who's a very attacking wing back or or a wide mid per se. And on the other side, you have obviously these James, who's a lot more. Balanced, who's a lot more conservative in terms of, um, you know, going high up the pitch. He's somebody who's happy to to use deep crosses to create chances. Um, he sort of is a little methodical in terms of how he progresses and make sure that he he takes his possession. He's not somebody who will just occupy uh, an advanced position and and hope for the ball to come there. He's going to help you progress it to that zone. So I think it's interesting to see that um, wing back sort of. A dynamic with Solly March and Leandro Trossard with say Sterling and, and Reece James. I think we will, like Jess mentioned, it's something that we could see with Christian Pulisic on the left hand side. You might see it shift the other way also. You might see Kukurea offering a lot more solidity on the left hand side. If, if Porto thinks that the opposition's, you know, right side is a little stronger, he might move the more dynamic wing back to the other flank. So you might see Pulisic there. We might see, say, a Hakim Ziyech there, you know, for all, you know. So I think it will be interesting to see what he does. But it's one of those principles that he's he's used at at Brighton. But I think this was more of seeing how adventurous he wanted to be with player roles, how open he was to making sure that there, there wasn't, you know, possession for the sake of possession. There was also a lot of vertical football, a lot of quick interchanges. You, we saw Breuer sort of um, create a chance for Hakim Ziyech, which cannoned off the, the keeper's knee that was a really quick move and, and all vertical passing also. So I think it's it's something that we will see in the subsequent weeks, just a, a little cranking up of the speed of play when required. Um, but yeah, also a little bit of defensive frailty, which uh, we've also seen at Brighton, you know, very adventurous kind of positioning to make sure that uh, we are only doing a 3-1 at the back with Jorginho of all people protecting you. I mean, if you've got Yves Bissouma or if you've got say an Alexis McAllister uh, understandable, but how does that stand up to to a Premier League football every you know every week or every every three four days? I think is is the larger question. So a lot of intriguing thoughts I would say, but uh, one game down. I would have ideally liked say about three four games to um, sit on and, and sort of like marinate in in terms of like what is going on. But I think everything we expected from Port from the first game versatility. Uh, pragmatism and a lot of risk.
0: Fair enough, fair enough. Jess, what were your just general thoughts on that game? Because that did feel, and albeit I think this is quite a low bar, one of the better Chelsea performances this season. It was probably, you know, second best behind that Spurs game. And again, as I said, it's quite a low bar, but it did feel there was, there was a bit more energy. I thought Chelsea started quite well, you know, getting pressing, sort of getting quite high up the pitch. There were, Decent-ish chances created, though we're still probably not the qu- necessarily the clear quality number of chances we would like. But we understand this one game; will take time. But were we all just general kind of thoughts and feelings watching watching that performance?
3: Well, as I was watching it, <laughs> um, I was I actually, as you said, I, I thought it was particularly the first half, I thought it was very, very slow, not going to lie. But uh, because I watched the training and, and the training, it was all about quick passing and vertical passing. And I was expecting a little bit more. But then again, as you said, it's just the first game. So I, I, I'm not going to be too um, upset about that. But there were things watching back that I quite enjoyed. Um, I, I talked about fluidity a lot, but I liked particularly how the three was very, very stretched. Uh, because they um, they were flooding the, the midfield area. So we, we stretched our, our, our back three. And then you had um, Kovacic occupy, occupying the, the half space in the midfield mount in the, in the right half space. Um, and, and I think Georgie had a, a good game, even though you would see him in that single pivot um, a lot of the times. And as Sam was talking about for the Premier League, uh, you would want someone um, with you know, more solidity defensively, but I think he had a good game. So I I, I like also um, in the second half when Breya came on and, and Sam talked about that um, he's um, his running and he gave that chance to Hakim Ziak, That was great for me. Even though it was a simple counter attack, it was something that we did not see. We weren't seeing um, recently and, and, and I, I quite enjoy that. I don't think Kai had a wonderful game um, and and he is someone that I'm, I'm very intrigued to see how how he will grow on the Potter because I think it can happen but I did like how he was also, also, um, all the time rotating in terms of space with with Alba and that created a lot of chances for us not a lot but you know the, a lot of the chances that we did have in that game came from 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 their movements so I think there were positive signs but very, very early on. So it's hard to conclude something with just that game in mind. Um, and in terms of, of the squad being selected, I didn't see any major surprises in terms of names. Um, as a fan, I think the biggest surprise would have to be Aski because we, have, we had Fofano who just bought for $7 million. Um, But But then again, in the circumstances, it made sense because of seniority because he is the captain because he had experience, a lot of experience with the UCL. And so I would see why Potter would, would trust him at that moment in time. But yeah, I, I, I don't think, I don't think this is the 11 that we're going to go with under Potter. Um, and I do think he is more open um, to changing the starting 11, depending on opponents. So I'm expecting a little bit of shift um, depending on who we are playing against, but yeah, um, not overly excited, but I think there were good times for, for it um, to be his first game.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think Chelsea, fingers think as well. And again, depends how much attention you pay to XG. But Chelsea did average, one, I think, 1.54 and Salzburg 0.38. So I guess already getting a very a bright and potter by there with with XG. But Sam, I think we saw Mace Mount perhaps, you know, in a role more favourable to him. We did see him, I guess, a, a, a little bit deeper than we had prior and he did probably have one of his best games of the season again not the highest bar required but do you think he is potentially someone who Graham Potter could maybe get the best out of because it, as I say it's been a probably a difficult season for Mace but again I guess potentially playing a bit more of a, a deeper you know being sort of in a in a midfield free or whatever did seem maybe just suit him better and again I'm kind of wary of saying soon better given that you know, for eighteen months, or whatever under under Thomas Tuchel, he played essentially as a for, uh, you know part of a forward three, and did a pretty good job, and played probably a similar amount of time there to where he played, you know, other positions in his Chelsea career. But do you think, sort of, potentially playing a, t- a bit deeper could you know under Paul could get the best out of him?
2: To be honest with Mace, I think it's more about just probably a lot of like mental burnout. He's obviously extremely young. He's uh, played an inhuman amount of games, you know, the past couple of seasons. Um, didn't really have an extended break with the Euros and and obviously us going deep into the Champions League, then having the Super Cup. So I think it's just been also an, a draining period for him in terms of um, just getting some time to recuperate and maybe like switch off. He probably hasn't had time to do that. Um, in terms of like the finer aspects of his role, yes, it does look like he does have more influence when he's playing deeper positions. But we've seen on the that when he plays in the front three, he's also able to offer a lot of goals and assists. I think it was um, either Joe Edwards or, or you know, um, Anthony Barry who told him that, you know, he needs to get into the box more often to get some goals and, and to create and to score more. And 11 goals and 10 assists, I think, speaks for itself. I think it's an, it's a fantastic tally for for somebody who was like 22 years old and probably now just you know, getting into his peak years. And the season, um, Tuchel's first season and and Lampard's half season, he created 90 chances from midfield. So I think it just says uh, volumes about his versatility, his willingness to adapt wherever he wants to. It's just, I think it it was also a lot to do with his performances. He looked a little jaded. He looked like he, he was floating and drifting in and out of games didn't really see that in Tuchel's first season in the Champions League run. I mean, he was switched on all the time. He was snapping into tackles. And and sometimes that happens. At this age, you're you're struggling to to control the workload. Um, and I think it's something that's that's pretty evident with him. So non-footballing reasons, I would say something that that struck me a lot when I was watching him saying, you know, he just looks tired. He just looks like He's lost a little bit of bite. He's lost a little bit of that um, aggression that he, that he bought with him. So hopefully that will go away. Ideally it would have been nice to have a month's rest, but again, two weeks off with just one game Uh the international break coming again is, is not the ideal um, time, but again, hopefully that week off like about 10 days off will, will do him a world of good and get him a little bit of brain space to think about what he needs to do better. And um Hopefully, Porter can can utilize his, his multifunctional skill set. I think there's a player there who's really, really just waiting to explode. I think we have just have to be patient. He's just displayed a lot of his strengths in the first couple of seasons. And I think the expectations have skyrocketed. But I, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. And uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully we'll see a lot more of that in the coming uh, weeks. It just, we just have to be patient. and, And that's what I advocate for every single player.
3: With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com.
0: Yeah, obviously Chelsea's goal was scored by Raheem Sterling. Just again, continue his fine start to Chelsea career amidst all the chaos on and off the pitch. But I guess just the goal we conceded is probably, it's something that, you know, I guess sort of almost just sums Chelsea season up. I think Kovacic is tackled, questionably fouled again. Whether that's up to it, but I think we then just see, I guess, a series of errors, or yeah, we'll say a series of errors, or just not quite. You you know, pre- you know, your skills not uh, coming in how you'd like. So Thiago Silva t- lunges for a ball, tack- uh, pr- pr- probably doesn't get enough on it, or you know, divert it how we'd like. And then Noah Okafor is kind of just left by Cesar Azpilicueta in space. And by the time he gets back, he gets his shot away. And then Kepa questionably, you know, let's forgotten. Goal. That goal, just a culmination of errors. Um, again, that goal, just a tale of, I guess, Chelsea's season so far.
3: Yeah, I think uh, definitely. I mean, as you said, um, Thiago was not great in that moment. And it's Thiago, uh, arguably the most consistent player that we've had, um, and and I actually think he had a he was wonderful. He had a wonderful performance apart from that mistake. And unfortunately, when he made that mistake, um, a lot of other people made <laughs> a mistake as well. So it's almost like Thiago can't make any mistakes because he's because other people will make mistakes. So he has to save us. It was almost like this, the feeling that I got immediately when that happened. So it, he has to be 100% always on. And, and so, yeah, I think it sums it up to have, I think, how many tackles went wrong in that in that play, right? So it was very frustrating. It was very frustrating. Um, Kepa should have done better. I'm not even going to talk about Asp because i so angry. Um, but yeah, as you said, these are things that need sorting. Um, they are also players maybe apart from Thiago that I don't think are going to be in our starting 11 um, for the rest of the season. I know Mindy had those errors. So um, it's, it might be arguable um, amongst fans, but I do think he's still our number one goalkeeper. I still expect him to be our number one goalkeeper. Um, And with Aspi, as I said, it, it makes sense that Potter chose him for that game, but I can't see him being in the starting 11. He has unfortunately been on a, on a, a decline um, since last season and it carried on this season and we have Fofana on the bench, we have Kluvali on the bench, so I'm, again, I'm not going to make any strong assumptions on what we're going to be seeing for the rest of the season based on that game or on that mistake. But yeah, it is quite telling and, and, and as you said, is a reflection of, of what we've been seeing recently.
0: Yeah, Sam, that was, I guess, the only real, real chance Salzburg had, obviously, Kepper made a save in the first half. So, I guess, just on the defensive point of view, and I guess with a caveat of that one moment aside, which was just a series of errors, Chelsea were actually pretty defensively solid. And I guess that is also reflected on the on XG against. It was a performance, it's a performance that obviously, due to result, gets talked about a lot differently. But just like, just your final thoughts on that performance in general, it was you know, a decent performance, but ultimately that result is not really going to cut it for us this season, especially in the Champions League, given the state we're in in that
2: competition. No, definitely. I think it was a calculated gamble from Potter, um, going with the the adventurous system that he did. Again, like I mentioned, the 3-1 is, is something that can then pay off an incredible amount of dividends, provided you take your chances and provided you're clinical. So if um, Breuer gets the volley. If Zesh gets the ball past, um, the keeper, we would have been talking 3-0, and, and we wouldn't have been worrying about uh, conceding, you know, a goal out of nothing. So I think it was, it could have swung both ways, but it just shows you that when you, when you sort of are willing to leave your defense exposed like that on a 3-1, um, getting a, getting Aspilikweta, who's obviously been declining, who's made a lot of errors compared to, you know, his first nine years at the club, I think. Whatever he's made in the past year and a half, he's just blown past that, Daddy. So I think it's it's clear that he's struggling with probably the physical aspect of it, not really being able to cope. Uncharacteristically switching off when Okafor made the run. So I think with with if you look at the games to come, it will probably reflect in the sides that Potter picks. I think this one was a lot to do with being politically right, making sure that. You had senior players in the side, making sure that you didn't upset anybody from the get-go. So, playing Pulisic, sorry, playing uh playing, playing uh, Jorginho, playing Oba, for example, making sure that the right people were in there so so you've got dressing room support behind you, I think that that will dissipate with time. So, uh, like just mentioned, when, when you've got somebody like a Fofana who's arguably not as good in, in build-up but offers a lot more defensive solidity, Somebody like a, a Koulibaly, obviously, is still to come in. It's it's definitely looking bright. I think the first game was just a lot of hotspots. It was just looking at tactics tailored for Salzburg's play, making sure that the side was, was filled with senior players. And I think that will change. So, hopefully, about two or three games down the line, uh, when he starts picking somebody like a chalaba, somebody like a Fofana, uh, somebody like a Koulibaly and and making those decisions. I think that's when that's when we'll have an accurate, you know, picture of what he wants to do and how he wants to play.
0: Yeah, as I said, just I think the general, you know, there were a lot of, you know, you know, positives to take from from our performance. But the reality of the situation is Chelsea have one point from two games in their group. Their next two games are against arguably the best team in the group, in AC Milan. It's early days, but I guess how confident or fearful are fearful depending on how you are. How confident or fearful are you of Chelsea qualifying or not qualifying, getting out of this group stage? Because this was a group stage that Chelsea should should have been getting out. There's not really any excuses not to get out of it. But they've only got one point from two games. Their toughest challenge comes next. And unfortunately I guess the reality of the way of the Champions League is the fact that it's, you know, blocks of two games uh, in a in basically space of a week, etc., due to due to the nature of the World Cup. Just your kind of thoughts and things of of how Chelsea find themselves in the Champions League group and realistic expectations for getting out of it?
3: Um, I'm not confident, but we are Chelsea, so anything is possible. And yes, it is, or it should be, the hardest game, um, games actually, because back-to-back games um, in the group. I am concerned about Rafael León and Jihu, and, and obviously, but we always seem to, to step up our game when we play against difficult opposition. Um, and and our, you know, it's like we, we raise our quality when when our opponents are are, are our top side. So I am always hopeful that we can turn up and and you know you mentioned in the beginning the Spurs game and, and and we were brilliant in that game. We're absolutely brilliant and, and our form was horrible prior to that game and it stayed it stayed horrible after that game. So we have a quality side and, and, and they and they and if our players decide to step up then then sure, why not? Again, not confident, but it's not I'm not gonna be surprised if if we if we get results.
0: Yeah, for I guess just I'm going to you your thoughts and feelings on you know the Champions League group stage. Because said we're very much in, you know all the talk is we're in, you know, for the project with Potter. I understand there will be low points, so there will be setbacks. I thought, how big a setback would it be if Chelsea did not get out of the Champions League group stage for you this season in terms of just Potter uh, and this project moving forward, for? Because obviously there's still a lot of work to do. There may be potentially benefits if we don't go out of the Champions League group stage. As bizarre as that kind of sounds, we're just kind of thoughts on things. On the current situation we are in, whether you, whether or not you still think we can do it, probably due to fact we kind of need to be non perfect. And just, yeah, you are just thoughts on the whole general situation around Chelsea in the immediate short term of, the, of their Champions League future and the competition this season?
2: Well, I think the ownership would be allowed sort of to to look at it as a long-term investment and probably to let it slide. But as, you know, somebody who's attuned to the level of success that we've had, I, I probably would think it's a devastating blow. I think this is, you should have a minimum threshold in terms of results, in terms of expectations. And the minimum expectations would be to win, say, at least... Two to three of those games, you know, against two against Milan and two against the other side. So, I think that's the least that we can expect. If you are letting somebody like a RB Salzburg or a Dinamo Zagreb qualify ahead of you, then again, it doesn't reflect very well, and it causes a lot of disharmony. You know, players are not going to be happy, revenues are going to drop. You know, not getting into the latter stages of the Champions League comes with losing out and a lot of money and a lot of revenue. And I think in terms of how well we can invest later on, is it's also going to be telling on the larger picture of the squad. So, um, definitely willing to give him the space he needs in the league, because I think Manchester City are on a different planet right now. And we need to have not just an incredible squad full of amazing players, but also have the right amount of fluidity, a lot of dynamic understanding between these players before we can challenge you know, the level, that bar that has been set. But uh, I'm I'm happy to do that in the league. I can say, you know what, over the next two years, try and build a side that sort of slowly improves on this league position. Maybe if Liverpool go the way that they're going, maybe like try for second, see if you can challenge for second and then maybe try challenging for the summit. But in the Champions League, you have to get to the round of 16. No matter what happens, get to the round of 16. I mean, that's the minimum expectations there.
0: Yeah, no I completely, completely agree Ella. The what I've all said is it's not, you know, Grandpa will will take charge of five of the six games and it's not his fault we've only got one point from two games because um, ultimately that we shouldn't have lost in Zagreb. But we did, and that draw against Salzburg is probably compounded by the fact that, you know, we lost in, in Zagreb. If we'd won in Zagreb or even drawn in Zagreb, I think the general mood and this conversation we're having right now is, is, is different. And that's just the reality of it. But yeah, Chelsea have got a lot of work to do. And they've got to be probably near on perfect now to, to qualify for the next stage of Champions League. And it would be a failure if they gap, don't get out of this group. I've got no issue saying that. Um, it would be a failure. And it would be it would be disappointing. And it would be the first major setback uh, of this project. But you've got to understand that setbacks do happen. And that's just very possible. Uh, but at the same time, if we, get, if we beat Milan on the 5th of October, then, you know, the, the situation of the group changes. We'd be level on points with Milan. And then all of a sudden, that game at the San Siro or whatever, get a point or whatever. Then you know you've then got to hope that they can do a job in, in the final two group games. So it's still very you know very up and yeah, it's still very I guess hard to 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 judge what will happen. But yeah, in the immediate short term, the Champions League group is in a bit of danger. Um, and it's yeah, it will it rests it does a lot does rest on these two games coming up against Milan. Um, I guess before we kind of just finish this episode, international break now. Say the game against Liverpool postpone this weekend which depending on how you look at it may not be the worst thing although Liverpool not exactly in the greatest place themselves right now but I'm just gonna I guess end with this picking a team for Crystal Palace now this is quite tough because we've literally got one game you know only kind of one game to kind of base this on but just I'll give you what would you what would the team be that you would like to see start at Crystal Palace doesn't necessarily have not what you think will happen but what you would like to see start at Crystal Palace on the first of October, it is, I believe.
3: Honestly, it wouldn't be that different to what we saw against Salzburg. I would probably go with Fofana ahead of Asfi. Um Then, yeah, I think I think that's it. Actually, I don't. I, I'm not expecting the selection to change that much. So, um, as you said, it's not something that I that I'm expected to not expect. But something that I would want. If it's something that I would want, I would try to throw in Amando Breuer there, but that's because I'm completely subjective when it comes to him, as Sam knows, and we've discussed this at length. Um, I just like him so much. But yeah, no, I, I would probably go with what we saw against Salzburg, but I, I, I think I think Fofana would be a better call.
0: Fair enough. And Sam, I guess, looking forward, what was the team you would like to see, see at Crystal Palace?
2: I think there might be a couple of changes. I think Kooli and Fofana both will come in. Um, we'd also see probably... You know, Chilean and um, one of Cucurea occupying the left-wing back slot because you know Palace are good in the wide areas. Uh, they will try to exploit that. So, you can't really be, you know, as sort of liberal with it the way that you were with a team that likes to play narrow. So, I think we will switch it up a little bit, maybe get two centre-backs, two quality centre-backs in and supplement it with Thiago Silva. So, the three at the back will be, you know, first choice three, I would say. Um, so, so I'm probably there. The rest of the side, like, I think it would be the same. I would um, agree with Jessica there. I would like to see probably, like, somebody drop out and see how how Sterling and Auba play up front when when Porter's got Mount and, say, probably Kai Havertz in behind or maybe somebody else in, in, in that midfield slot to see how that four combines with each other. Maybe, like, even Sterling in that central spot, you know, just to see how that experiment works out. So... Um, probably minimum two changes is what I'm, I'm forecasting. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know if Potter again caters to, you know, making sure the intricacies of the side are, are kept and, and Aspi still plays and, you know, the same structure remains and we just only make possibly one change before Fafana comes in. But, uh, hopefully it's a couple of changes at the back. Uh, a stable midfield with probably Jorginho and Cova and then maybe possibly seeing, uh, one of Armando Breuer and and Sterling up front, so possibly that. Fair enough, fair
0: enough. Jess, I know you wanted to ask a question, so go for it. Um,
3: Yeah, uh, Sam mentioned uh, Trevor as an option for centre-back, obviously. Um, But we know that he can play in midfield. We saw it a couple of times under Tuchel, and I was just wondering if maybe uh, we might see him there with Potter. Um, I know we have Zaka, but I was just Wondering what your thoughts were in terms of Trevor, in terms of a midfield, and if he can be a different option for us.
2: Yeah, I think in terms of, I think, uh, tactical tweaking and and playing players where they're not really accustomed to playing, I think there's been a large gap between when Chalaba played there versus where he's playing now. So um, it's not beyond Porter to play in there, but I would probably say that he would be more inclined to get Zakaria in. Um, Somebody who was... Probably a little misprofiled. Uwe was playing as almost an eight. You know, he was playing as a mezzala, would drift out wide, would try to offer a lot of attacking thrust on the wings. It's not really his game. So um he plays as as a defensive midfielder as part of a double pivot in uh, the national team for Switzerland. I think that's where he's best. Somebody who's also able to slot in at center back, offers good defensive solidity in terms of one v one. Engagements in transition. So I think if you're looking at somebody who can offer you those defensive aspects, I would probably go for somebody who's played them or often, who's played them more recently and has experience there. So I would sort of lean towards that. But again, it's it's not something that I would rule out at all. I wouldn't rule out anything against you know under Porto. I wouldn't rule out Jorginho playing as third centre back um, in libero position, the kind that Frankie played for uh, Barcelona against PSG and he arguably had one of his best games there. So, you wouldn't really rule it out if if he wanted to try something in terms of the possession phase. I think that also helps him do that and, and cover his deficiencies in midfield. So, I'm not really ruling out anything. But in terms of, say, Trevor versus Zaka, I would obviously give Zaka the preference. But again, don't want to second guess for Porto is doing anything's possible. Fair enough.
0: Fair enough. Right, we've covered kind of pretty much everything I wanted to cover on this episode. Sam, Jess, it has been an absolute pleasure. Listeners will not know the amount of technical difficulties that we've gone through this episode. Hopefully, anyway, hopefully I can smooth all those out in editing. But I just want to say thank you both for coming on. Um, Jess, before you go, why don't you give yourself one last plug where people can find you?
3: Yeah, people can find me at uh, at jeh__frota on Twitter. And I'm always open to talking and rambling and, uh, discussing all things Chelsea. So thank you. And also I'll take, um, taking the opportunity just to thank you once more for being here and for being here with Sam, you know, I appreciate and, you know, I admire both of you so much. So thank you for having me. It's an honor.
0: Jess, it is always, always a pleasure. And Sam, before you go, why don't you give yourself one-off plug where people can find you, find all your brilliant work that you're putting out there in the Chelsea community.
2: You can usually find me upside down on my couch, but otherwise, if you want to find my work, you can find me on CFC Central 3 on Twitter. Um, the Substack link will be in the description um, of this podcast as well as on the Twitter handle, so you can find all my work there um a lot of player tactical analysis articles and features and everything so feel free to send a dm uh, have a conversation love doing that and uh, yeah nick uh, thank you so much for for having me and always a pleasure to do this with you and jessica i think it's it's always a wonderful conversation so really really happy so thank you so much and uh, hope you're well
0: yeah cheers both for coming on it's been a pleasure as always as for us, we're on Twitter at that Chelsea Pod on Instagram at that Chelsea Pod. Run all your usual podcast platform providers. If you're not subscribed already, just search that Chelsea Podcast into wherever you listen, and we should come up. Whenever I tweet the pod out, any likes, retweets are appreciated. It does go a long way on Twitter. We're on about two point nine k, so we're not that far off three k. So again, if you listen and you're on Twitter but you don't follow us, then what are you doing? Get on it and follow us, so you can also never you always are alerted when there's a new episode out. Play it to anyone with a functioning pair of ears, please. Until the next episode, keep the blue flag flying high.
1: Sports Social Podcast Network.
0: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What
2: do you do when you win?